Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that is me, and Zara McDonald, that is you. Michelle. (laughs) We're in a very different setup today, guys, but coming up on today's show, an embarrassing confession about Lizzo, how James Charles became a pop culture piñata, and how some of the world's most famous faces have railed against America's abortion law crisis. But first, Zara, how was your week? Uh, It has been... One of the most hectic weeks and weekends ever. Yep. Overstatement? Oh, God, no. I'm fucking exhausted and excited and exhilarated and pumped I said and to, all of the things. I said to someone the other day, I feel like I'm halfway through a marathon. Not that I've ever run a marathon, nor that I, nor do I ever plan on it. But it's kind of that feeling. So we're recording. It's Sunday. We're recording from Mecca land. Um, Zara's <laughs> face mask is flapping in the wind as she talks. We are at that point of delirium where you sound drunk oh, when yeah. we haven't had a drink like in over a week. But we are at that point. I kind of like the state of delirium though. Like there is something so fun about being completely delirious. I feel shaky delirious. Like I'm, I, we're eating enough, obviously. No one worry on that front. But it, I am full of caffeine and adrenaline to the point where I'm jittery. Yeah, so am I. It's, out, it's absurd the amount of coffee we've consumed. Anywho, in happy news and not so happy news for me, <laughs> um, you guys are the best because you helped us win the popular vote, the Australian Podcast Awards on Saturday night, which was completely wild. But it also means Michelle's about to remix all of the dumb things I've ever said on this podcast. Yeah, well, okay. I know that I promised this and I will stick to my promise. No one worry. We do need to figure out a way to make a remix of you saying, <laughs> cash me outside, how about that? I didn't think that we were going to win. So I was like, eh, if that happens, I'll figure it out in the future. The future is now and I've got not many hours to figure out how to remix. So if in the next segment you just hear Zara saying, cash me outside, how about that? A couple of times. I'm sorry. But also, if anyone listening knows how to do a quick remix and would love to be the contributing remixer for Shameless Podcast. <laughs> this is the worst thing you've ever done. You can't overpromise and underdeliver. No. Even any- I am not about that. <laughs> and this is embarrassing for me. Oh, if anyone does want to make a remix, please reach out. My email is hello at michelleandrewscreative.com. In not so happy news, though, for people who actually care about climate change, the... 
Liberal government was re-elected. I don't know that this is a pop culture podcast, but I do find it interesting, Michelle, that we intend to talk about conservative politics in the US today as a bit of um, change of pace and that on our own terrain, a conservative climate change denying government was re-elected. Yeah, I mean, we were so flat out at Mechaland that we quickly jumped on our phones to get an update. And before we had checked this update, we had really positive news. I'm a Labor voter. I'm more than willing to be open about that, Labor and Greens. But when I checked my Apple News notifications and I was scrolling through Twitter, I just had this impending sense of doom as in like, no, 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 no. This was not how it was supposed to go. It definitely had that sense of Trumpism again on a much smaller scale, but it did have that changing of the dial where it started to go the way we didn't want it to go. Um, It's... Must, it's a really interesting time. Peter Dutton was re-elected over Ali France, which I was really genuinely surprised about. I don't know if that just shows my naivety. Perhaps this shows our naivety completely. I, I did say to you, though, between running from Mechaland to the podcast awards by the time the election had basically been called, that I had a bad feeling because I felt like we stopped talking about it. Yeah, and I mean... I think this is important as well, that if you voted for the Liberal Party, please don't think that God, this isn't no. a space for you or a conversation for you. If anything, we want to have your opinions and thoughts more than ever, because as you said, Zara, we we felt blindsided by this, or we felt like it wasn't going to go this way, but clearly there are lots and lots and lots of people who feel a certain way about the Liberal Party, but don't want to actually speak about it or say it. So the conversation is becoming increasingly fragmented. And it's going into corners where no one's really talking to each other again, which is a problem we've had time and time again over the last few years. But I don't think that's voters' issues. I think that's a politician's issues and how they're fighting the election in that it's so divisive now that people feel like they actually don't have a space to talk about it in a really helpful and productive way. Maybe we've contributed to that a little bit. Who knows? I think it's, again, going to be a good lesson in how we actually attack uh, these conversations going forward. But it's a really interesting time. And I think once again, we will delve into the abortion crisis and conservative politics in the US. And I think given the backdrop of last night, it um, it could be an interesting conversation. Yeah, a saddening one as well. Yeah. Give me a happy story because my highlight from this weekend was when you met Zoe Foster Blake and <laughs> embarrassed both of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is one of the worst things I've done. And I know that everybody has like an overly exaggerated story about when they meet someone, but this was ridiculous. And- And before you jump into it, maybe we should let the international listeners know that Zoe Foster Blake is like an Australian icon. She is a beauty entrepreneur and writer and author and just all round woman of kickassery. Exactly. So on the Friday night at Mechaland, we had worked basically all day and all night and (laughs) we had walked off our last panel and I was on a pretty big high because we were pretty exhausted and we'd done it. And I run into the green room and in the green room, I saw Michelle Battersby from Bumble, like in my line of sight. So, and we've had Michelle Battersby on the podcast before. So I very obnoxiously like run through the green room, bounce up to this group of women and say, hey to Michelle Battersby. And like, I'm, I am basically yelling because I am extremely obnoxious. You put yourself in a circle of about five people. Yeah, but I didn't look at who was in the circle. No, you just so ran into the middle. <laughs> little Zara. This tiny, obnoxious 24-year-old sprints into the green room, runs into the centre of this circle of women and I look up and I realise Michelle Battersby is <laughs> standing with um, Elle Ferguson, Eleanor Pendleton, I'm pretty sure Joe Horgan who runs Mecca was there. <laughs> That's when you knew you had the immediate 
it sweats. Like, what the fuck have I done? Like, oh, your face was very red and very shiny. So I look around and I think, well, the only thing I can do right now is introduce myself, but nobody has any idea who I am. So this is embarrassing. So I introduce myself to the circle. And because I'm so stressed and so anxious and like, um, you know, when you get hot flushes, like because I had a hot flush, I'm ignoring the person standing next to me because I'm not even noticing her in my periphery. And she taps me and she said, hi, I'm Zoe. <laughs> and I was like... Not only do I look obnoxious and embarrassing, I also look rude. And then I mumbled and you had to come in and save it completely. Well, I watched this all unfold. I was behind you and it was like it was happening in slow motion. <laughs> and then my- <laughs> Why is Sarah bounding up to this group of women she doesn't know who don't know her? <laughs> and then my favourite part is the words that came out of your mouth were not words. It was like, hi, <laughs> When you're mumbling so much, you genuinely just have to stop yourself from speaking. I had to compose myself for 30 seconds and then I started speaking again. I've got to say, I think I saved it. I think I saved it for both of us. No, you saved that 30 seconds and then I came back and I brought my A game and we were fine. And then we had a great interview with Zoe yesterday, so we were fine. Zoe is a ray of sunshine. I'm in love with her. Absolutely. Do you have a recommendation for the week? Um, I also have a recommendation. This is like the longest intro ever. I read a really great piece this week that I read a long time ago, but we've had a lot of conversations very recently about relationships and love. And I had a friend of a friend asking us for recommendations on relationship articles because we do a lot Mm -hmm. of reading. And I found myself back on a piece from The Cut. It's an Ask Polly column called Am I Settling? And I read it again and you read it again and we read it in an Uber together. And it is one of the most searing relationship pieces I've ever read. Both if you're in a relationship that you're not sure about, or if you're in a relationship that you're happy in, I think it's a story that everybody can relate to trying to work out how you know if you're in the right relationship. It's super sage advice. Maybe we should actually pop the link to that in the Facebook 100%. Group. And my favorite line from that was, can you defend your relationship in a court of law? Like if you were pulled into a court of law and you were forced to stand up and defend your relationship, would you be able to do it? Mm. And that's kind of like that one searing question to make you really think about the relationships that you're in and and the people that you spend time with. Absolutely. How about you? Well, as you said, most hectic week ever, most amazing week ever. Uh, I will say, I'll go back to the podcast awards for a quick sec. When we ran in to receive our award, because we were running from Mecca to the podcast awards and the timing was just ridiculously good in that the second we pushed open the theatre doors, they were announcing the award that we eventually won. It was like a parody. It was like a movie. I've never had such serendipitous timing in my entire life. So we open the doors. We don't even sit down. We literally basically just walk down the stairs and onto the stage. I have never given such an awkward... You were panting next to me and I was like, can you not breathe so heavily? I panted into the microphone microphone because I was puffed. We were running upstairs. We were lost. So we literally got to the microphone. I was like, oh, thank you. And then we had nothing prepared. And then I dropped the F-bomb on stage. And then it was just super awkward. I didn't know how to walk off. So I walked off on the wrong exit. It was a bit of a clusterfuck. It was a mess. It was actually (laughs) a very embarrassing and awkward mess. And then when you swore, I was like, that is absolutely not a thing you can do here. But sure, I'm going to move you off stage. I know. I was just super excited. And I was I'll say it again. I know you said it before, but we're so fucking grateful for you guys. Like out of all the awards, I mean, the awards, the other awards were picked by actual judges who determined what's the best, but you guys made us the best. So we are the women of the people because the people decided. Yeah. And we really fucking appreciate it. And I can't wait to humiliate Zara in every episode. And you can't stop swearing either. Sorry. I get (laughs) when I, um, when I get 
excited or nervous, I drop the F-bomb a lot, I've realized. It's just like a nervous thing. When my mum called me afterwards, she was live streaming the awards from home. She called me and she's like, did you have to say the F-word, Michelle? Absolutely, I do, Vicky. (laughs) And do you have a recommendation? Yeah, really quickly. I do want to recommend Isle of Paradise Fake Tan. This is not sponsored. Not sponsored, but last week I had a major fake tan fail. This week we had our tans done by Jules Von Hepp, who owns Isle of Paradise. He does Kate Moss's fake tans. Jules Van Hepp is the best spray tan artist I've ever met in my life. And he does Kate Moss, like you said. And I'm fucking obsessed with him. His Isle of Paradise tan goes on clear and then develops over time. So you don't have that uh, bronzy developer that rubs off onto your clothes. You don't have that gross shower experience where you just feel like brown stuff is just washing off you. Glows on clear, develops. And I will say for any girls who have dry skin or eczema, this is the only fake tan I've ever used that doesn't grip to dry areas of skin or yeah. make that exacerbate that area. It just simply goes over it and looks really seamless and glowy and bronzy and beautiful. And I really recommend it. You can get it at Mecca. And this is the first time I've ever gone to sleep in a fake tan and woken up and there not be an ounce of fake tan on the sheets. God, not no. Not an ounce. Like it, you don't need one of those sheets. It only develops on your skin. It doesn't develop on other stuff. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And like we said, this is not sponsored at all. We actually quite like Jules as well, which helps. Jules, if you're listening, <laughs> I, I'm in love with you. But we were astounded by this. And given all of Michelle's fake tan woes, it was fabulous timing. We were also topless in front of each other for the first time. So good luck to any future shameless media HR manager because you're coming into an absolute mess of this, a company. This workplace is very rogue at the moment. <laughs> Let's actually get into the show this week, Michelle, because we're starting from an embarrassing point. Yeah, well, I was about to say, when it comes to picking and deciphering which people can give advice and who can't, I think Lizzo, the first person we're discussing in today's segment, is the kind of person who can give out life advice. She just seems so enigmatic and vivacious and full of life, and I didn't know who the fuck she was until this week, which, given that I'm a pop culture columnist and podcaster, (laughs) is the biggest indictment on my career to date. It's so funny. We were lying um, on Michelle's bed last night. <laughs> Again, not sexual. Why do these podcasts now have a sexual element to them? Again, you- platonically lying on bed together. <laughs> Did we have our clothes on after the spray tan? I'm just going to leave that up to the imagination. And we were lying on Michelle's bed and we were deciding the segments that we were going to discuss. And Michelle goes, we should talk about Lizzo. And I said, Michelle, I don't know who Lizzo is. And you said to me, everyone's been talking about her. And I said, well, if she's not on our radar, maybe Maybe we're too ahead of the game. Like we're way too ahead of the game. You literally went, maybe Lizzo, someone we touch on next month when she's a thing. And I was like, no, no, Zara. It's not like we're ahead of the game. We missed the game. This was a thing that was happening three weeks ago and we completely, <laughs> we completely missed, it. missed it. So I went to the Facebook group, typed in Lizzo in the search bar and was like, holy fuck, we've completely, this has completely passed us by. If anyone was a fly in the wall in that room at that time when we had that conversation, I feel like we would have looked like two middle-aged women who had just discovered emojis in 2019. Oh yeah. Very uncool, straight white <laughs> girls for sure. For those who don't know and are listening to this going, wait, who the fuck is Lizzo? I guess this is kind of like Cardi B 2.0. Remember how Cardi B had that real explosion onto the mainstream and some people didn't know who she is, but those who did know her loved her? This is like that. So Lizzo's real name is Melissa Vivian Jefferson. She's 31 years old. She's a singer, songwriter and rapper. And she is not just your typical rapper where you're kind of like, I don't know if this is good music. I don't know how to differentiate between great rapping and terrible rapping. 
This is a classically trained, incredibly talented musician. She's also a flautist, which apparently is what you call people who play the flutes. <laughs> I, I learned was, that this morning. I was actually incredibly impressed just then, A, with your pronunciation of flautist and B, the fact that you knew that. Well done. Yeah, she's a classically trained flautist and she has really come into her own, particularly after she was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. I think it was either last season or the season before. She performed at Coachella. She's about to perform at the MTV Music Awards. And I don't know how we missed this. It's super interesting to me because when I went back and did all of the reading for this segment, I found so many articles that kind of touched on this sentiment that she's about to explode. So Kish Lal, who wrote for Junkie very recently, wrote a piece that said Lizzo is about to conquer the world, so you better listen up. And that for me kind of framed this entire thing in a sense that this is someone that should be on your radar and this is why. And I think that one of the quotes from that piece that I really liked was, it's the subversion of labels and trends that make Lizzo a pillar of inspiration, even if we don't have the words beyond body positivity to describe her. And I found this really interesting in that we actually kind of don't have the words or the language to describe someone that is incredibly body positive, but who kind of creates a movement around that that is more than that. Like we, it almost feels reductive to just put it down to body positivity, given all she does for music, her, her community and her fans. But it does prove kind of a broader point that like we said, we don't have labels for people that do what she does, which is storm the industry, I think, and give them something that is actually authentic and I know we talk about authenticity all the time but that is actually authentic and actually real and very relatable well this is the funny thing it's actually hard to pin down who Lizzo is because she is so much yeah and she herself like I think everyone around her tries to label her as one thing or the other but she herself rejects labels so she did a fantastic fantastic interview with Teen Vogue last year and I really recommend you guys go and read it it's a lot about astrology however once you get over the fact if you have to do a bit of mental gymnastics to accept the astrology side of things. I'm an astrology skeptic, so that's why I'm saying this. It is a really fantastic, really well-written story. So she gave a quote that said, when it comes to sexuality or gender, I personally don't ascribe to just one thing. I cannot sit here right now and tell you I'm just one thing. That's why the colours for the LGBTQ plus are a rainbow, because there's a spectrum and right now we try to keep it black and white. That's just not working for me. I do really like this because I think it is, it speaks to a push for us all to kind of reject labels more and more, which is not a bad thing at all. I think a lot of people just feel completely disoriented by that and they don't know what to do when we don't have labels to ascribe other people. But I think it's really helpful for us to look at people like Lizzo and say, it's actually really refreshing that we can't pin her down. Yeah. What do you think it is? If you had to pin one thing down to say, this is why she is so prolific and so successful all of a sudden, what is it? Because for me, I'll give you mine so you can have some rumination time. (laughs) I think it really comes down to this next quote, which she also gave to Teen Vogue. I've always stood up for the underdog and the underrepresented because I can't escape from that myself. I can't wake up one day and not be black. I can't wake up one day and not be fat. I always had those things against me in this world. And because I fight for myself, I have to fight for everyone else. I really love that. In a quote that she gave to Junkie, she said, I'm a pioneer in creating modern self-love, body positive music. So it's like this intersection between music that people really like that actually means something. And I think people appreciate that. In a day and age where a lot of stuff doesn't feel real anymore, like we live so much of our lives online and we can't really tell real from fake, there is this real refreshingness to someone who is willing to make money off standing for something. Yeah, absolutely. And think about the industry she's in, how much particularly that rap sector is populated with women who openly get lots of plastic surgery and augment their bodies, which is fine. If you want to do that, do that. It 
is really refreshing, as you said, to see a woman come in and say, you know what, this is what I look like. No, I'm not going to go get implants, liposuction, boob job, whatever. This is me and I can be successful in this industry without looking like your very strict ideal of what a woman should look like. There was a really brilliant profile on the cut. Did you read this one? No. The photos, I would click on this story for the photos alone. The photos are arresting. And I think this is what I love about the cut so much too, in that women's magazines have traditionally always struggled and not done well when they're photos photographing women who aren't a size six. They ever cover them up completely or just put their faces on the cover of a magazine. Or cinch them in to be a size six. Exactly. But the, the photos in this story are completely arresting. And the, the title of that piece is It's Just a Matter of Time Till Everybody Loves Lizzo As Much As She Loves Herself. And I love this idea that it's becoming mainstream to care about yourself and back yourself. I remember Michelle Obama giving an interview to Oprah during the launch of her book and she was talking a lot about how she likes herself and it's that fine line between really liking yourself and caring about yourself and valuing yourself and being arrogant and I think I I just love this idea that caring about yourself and liking yourself has become more mainstream than ever. It's also that give no fucks approach, which I just find to be a ray of light into life because I give too many fucks, if anything. So if I see someone come into the mainstream who does not care what anyone else has to say, I'm like, I need to take a leaf out of your book. That's exactly what I need to take on in my life. Clearly, this is stuff that women want. That's why these kinds of women are rising and rising and rising. Does this make us cool now that we're across who... Lizzo is? Absolutely not. <laughs> Cash me outside, how about that? Cash me outside, how about that? Cash me outside, how about that? How about that? How about that? And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the new cycle. I could just cut that sentence and put the same one in every week. If only. Michelle, what have you got for us this week? My first story. Do you wash your legs in the shower? The internet is divided. This is from today.com. And Zara McDonald, do you wash your legs in the shower? Um, Be honest. Okay, I will. You look like you have a lying face no, on No, 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 right I now. absolutely don't have a lying face. There's nothing, there's, this is not worth lying about. There are other things I'd lie about on the podcast. People right? are pretty angry about it on the internet. Well, it was really funny. I asked you this question with absolutely no context yesterday. I turned around to you and I said, do you wash your legs in the shower? And you looked at me and we were looking at each other <laughs> and we thought, well... How did you explain it to me? Because you explained it quite well. And I said, I think I do the same. I said, I think I just put it like body wash everywhere, but it's not like I'm specifically focusing on my legs. I focused on like upper body for sure, like armpits, chest. Do you ever bring like a face cloth to your legs? I, well, I exfoliate with exfoliating gloves at least once or twice a week in the shower. But then there's the argument, are the exfoliating gloves clean? Oh anyway, the God. reason that this story is vi- went viral is because of a tweet, obviously. You still haven't answered my question, by the oh, way. Yeah, I think I do. You but do I wash your legs? I don't think I do it in every single shower. No, I don't either, which is why people are very, very angry about this everywhere. I feel like you fall into one of two camps. Either you consistently wash your legs with a face cloth or you don't. <laughs> and I feel like we fall into the latter. We just don't want to admit it. The thing, though, that we do need to think about when it comes to this big question is gravity. I think we need to consider gravity in that if I use body wash on my shoulders and my upper arms and like the entire upper part of my body, that will necessarily trickle down onto my legs, therefore cleaning them. Do you agree? Yeah. Does soapy water running past your leg clean it? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I think it does. I will be brutally honest. I don't think brutally I... Brutally honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are really fucking mad about this. Someone wrote on Twitter in a viral tweet, 
being like, um, imagine if you met the love of your life and then you realise that she voted no in the poll on Twitter asking if you've washed your legs in the shower. Okay. So people are taking this super fucking seriously. And I'll be honest, no, I don't think I wash my legs in the shower more often than not. Yeah, I think that's where I sit too. That said, I would also not vote no in that poll because that's embarrassing. God, yeah. And it was 80-20, 80% said yes. I'm like, you're all fucking liars. I swear to God, I, I clean that area, but it's not like I'm scrubbing at it every single shower. And I'll add on top of this, I don't like those face washer cloth things. It reminds me of when I was like three. They're gross. My mum used to use them and then <laughs> exactly. they're like, they're damp for so long. And then what do you do with them to dry them and out? they're like kind of crusty. They get crusty when they dry. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people could come into the group and recommend very, you know, like good shower products for us. Sustainable, of course. Of course. <laughs> My second story, expensive clothes, overseas trips. Belle Gibson's expenses in the spotlight. That's from The Age. So Belle Gibson fronted court this week because she had not paid her $410,000 fine that she was slapped with after, you know, the whole faking cancer story. So the story is that Belle was summoned to the federal court to have her financial records examined because she had not paid that $400,000 fine. And the, the courts were wondering where she, she was because she's been going on holidays. And, and not living. just holidays either. One month holidays to Africa, which cost exorbitant amounts of money. It's not like she went on a holiday to bloody Phillip Island for two days. She's been going on very lavish trips. She's been going on super lavish trips, like you said, like across continents. Mm-hmm. And the questions that were put to her at court is how, how are you paying your rent? How are you paying your phone bill? Who paid for that dress today? And in almost every answer she gave, she gave this friend's name mm-hmm. who she has been living with on and off. There has been speculation that they're dating. And it's estimated that she owes him up to $90,000, assuming he's paying for her rent and her holidays. So she's refusing to pay this fine, could potentially face jail if she doesn't. But for me, the arrogance in not even trying to pay this off astounds me. I understand no one's just going to pay a $400,000 fine off like tomorrow, Mm. but to make an effort to look like you're trying to redeem yourself or, I mean, not that that's even possible, but to not even look like you're trying to make an amend really does baffle me. Yeah, I think I've just put a black line through her name. That's bad because we're about to talk about cancel culture once again. But maybe it's just that I don't expect anything from a person who would fake having brain cancer and profit hundreds of thousands of dollars off that for years. I don't then expect her to have some redemption to be an amazing person again. I think if you're capable of that, you're capable of probably much worse as well. So I don't hold much hope for Belle Gibson. I was surprised that she's 27. She's only two years older than I am. And I just think it's insane that someone who's so closely connected to our age can be capable of this. Yeah, that is pretty wild. I hadn't even thought about her in the context of her age. Mm, Really, really troubling. All right, my third story, wardrobe malfunctions, meltdowns and Botox between shows. Z-list reality stars drag the once prestigious Australian Fashion Week down with their outrageous behaviour. That is from the day. This is one of the most wild stories I have (laughs) ever read. This is one of the meanest nastiest, <laughs> bitchiest stories I've ever read from Daily Mail reporter because clearly nobody wants to put their name to it. Can I read you the opening part of this story? Can you tell me about the Botox as well between shows? Well, who is getting <laughs> Botox between shows? God knows. <laughs> it's Megan, um, one of the Bachelor contestants from a couple of years ago. It's meant to be one of the most prestigious events in Sydney's social calendar. But this year, Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week <laughs> has been hijacked by Z-list reality stars. Zed, we're in Australia, hun. <laughs> I, my name is Zara. I can use the word Z however you I like. You can't say Z. Say Z-list. <laughs> Hijacked by <laughs> Z-list reality stars. Fuck you. Like The Bachelor and Married at First Sight. 
Despite a supposed ban on social climbers attending, lowbrow guests have flocked to venues such as Sydney's Carriage Works over the past few days. Wow. Poor Laura. I think it was Laura from The Bachelor, NASA from Married at First Sight. Megan Marks. It was one of the most awful stories I've ever read. And it also included details of like, uh, Laura rocked up with a hole in her shirt and made up for it days later by wearing cutouts around her bum or stomach or whatever. It's just interesting reporting skills there. Totally interesting because Daily Mail doesn't often do opinion pieces. They just do shit. (laughs) So when they've turned around and actually had an opinion on something, I am surprised that they could be that ruthless. I haven't seen anything that ruthless on the internet in a very long time. I am curious. This headline does raise an interesting question for me. What's your definition of a Z-lister? Because I wouldn't consider people with hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram to be Z-list. Well, absolutely not because they're, surely there's only A to D. Yeah. Yeah, true. Like Z-list are people that are like commoners, right? Commoners. (laughs) Muggles in Harry Potter terms. Well, it's it's interesting that they didn't just say D-list. I thought D-list was the standard. I think you're underestimating how nasty this piece wanted to get. Z-list. And how ruthless they wanted to get. Who's like a who's like a C-list Australian celebrity for me? Just so we can know the levels. I also think that everybody has different levels for definite. Okay, well, give me yours. I don't have a C-list. All Aww. celebrities are great in my eyes. We host a celebrity podcast. There's absolutely no way we're going mm, to town on this. C-list celebrity. I would say a health or fitness influencer with like 75,000 followers would be a C-list. Celebrity. Interesting that we're putting the tag of celebrity on that. Give me time to think about that. Maybe I'll come back next week with a full presentation (laughs) on A to D. (laughs) I look forward to it. My fourth story. This is actually your story because, of course, it's a royal story. Princess Diana's niece is dating a 60-year-old multimillionaire. That is from our favourite publication in the world, The Cut. Do you remember when Lady Kitty Spencer turned up to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding? And there was a lot of conversation and tabloid reporting around her because she's beautiful. The hot model one. Yeah, With exactly. blonde hair. And it kind of has a Princess Diana look about her, though a very modern... She does. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. Fine. I am so sick. You know sick. what? You know what? I'll admit it was too far. <laughs> I'm so sick. I'll admit it was too far. I said I was media wrong. reporters and publications trying to weave in Princess Diana into <laughs> any headline. I've told you I was wrong. You don't need to push the point. I took, I got caught up in the moment. So we're just recapping. You've been wrong about when Meghan Markle gave birth and now you're wrong about this. Continue. How's the live tally? <laughs> I'm blushing. I don't like being wrong. Anyway, Lady Kitty Spencer, who was, like we said, all over the news after this wedding, is now dating a 60-year-old multimillionaire who owns the clothing company Whistles. What the fuck is that? No idea. Whistles? Whistles. I'm going to Google it while you talk about it. I've never heard apparently, of that. How can he be a multimillionaire from a company we've never heard of? Apparently they are occasionally stocked in Bloomingdale's or something. Contemporary women's fashion, accessories and shoes. I am also Googling as we speak. Okay, Ooh. the average thing at Whistles, I love a live Google while we record the podcast. I'm sure nobody <gasps> else does. It's pretty expensive. How much are So for looking? an average crop top, like you know those ruched crop tops that you can get at probably everywhere now, like you can get at Dotty and at probably everywhere. Yeah. It costs you 71 pounds on yeah. sale. Yeah. So well, that is that's 150 bucks for a ruched crop top, which I bought in Bali for not very much. Right, this is how Mr. Whistles is making his money. Mr. Anywho, <laughs> Mr. Whistles is dating um, Lady Kitty Spencer and good luck to the both of them. Lady Kitty Spencer, by the way, is in her 20s. Not that that's relevant. Age, love no, no, knows no boundaries. Good save there. Can't wait to see her modeling some of those crop tops. <laughs> My fifth story, Jennifer Lawrence threw an engagement party and we're bummed we miss out. That's from MTV. I'm so annoyed that MTV puts all of their headlines in capital letters. Sorry. It sounds like they're 
shouting. I know. I didn't actually, I put that one in for you and I didn't fix the capital scenario. Um, I put this in because we've been having a conversation, you know, for about three years, but we've never had it on the podcast about the sheer absolutism of some headlines that shits us to tears. Mm. So let me recap this headline. Jennifer Lawrence threw an engagement party and we're bummed we missed out. Yeah. Are we? Uh, no, not particularly. No. It's the kind of headline that really frustrates me. Like the one, this is the best advice we've ever heard. And I'm like, is it the best advice we've ever heard? Or are we just being mildly hyperbolic on our Tuesday morning? I mean, they're just trying to get clicks, aren't they? Yeah, I know, but I'm still not going to click. I actually know I clicked in this one. Nothing <laughs> so like a fraud. Yeah, you are a fraud. What the fuck? <laughs> Nothing like being a bit totalic to get people to click into your story. Considering you did click in and I did not, please tell me a little bit at least about it so the listeners know. Of course, Michelle. So Jennifer Lawrence is engaged. Did you know that? Absolutely not. Okay. Gen- the last time I heard about Jennifer Lawrence, just as an aside, was when she wore that dress in the snow and everyone slammed her for that because the boys were all in suits. Oh, honey, that was ages ago. Very niche, yeah? That was a long, long She's time She's been ago. off the radar, though. I feel like people cancelled Jennifer Lawrence despite the fact she did sweep fuck all. I think it was like the fall of the cool girl thing. <sighs> Anywho, she's engaged to an art dealer called Cook Maroney. I wouldn't mind getting myself an art dealer. Cultured and rich. Do you like the name Cook Maroney? I think it's very cultured, that Cook. name. Cook with an E. I hate it. I don't mind the name. I hate it. Anywho, she had an engagement party at a restaurant and she booked it out and obviously Emma Stone was there. The story itself is not that interesting. <laughs> I'm more bummed out that I missed out on meeting Emma Stone than missing out on Jennifer Lawrence's engagement party. Fair call. Is that all you've got for me today? Well, you had two of those. So, yes, that's all we have for each other. Little sneaky. (laughs) We have two words for you, James and Tarty. It's been one of the most talked about stories of the week, not just within the pop culture realm, but in the news cycle in its entirety. Mish, I'm not a YouTube fan. Shock you horror. Know this, and I still don't really know what the fuck is happening. So recap this for me in 60 seconds. All right. Do we have a timer? How are we going to do this? Do we have a timer? Of course I came prepared. Are, <gasps> okay. are you ready? I'm a little bit nervous for this. I'm going to try and recap this as quickly as I can. So 60 seconds. I'm going to try and get as much detail in as I possibly can. I'm going to give you a three second countdown. Okay. Oh, God. I feel so anxious. That seems unlike you. Jesus. Three. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Two. One. Go! James Charles got his start in the beauty community after he reached out to Tardy Westbrook via DM two years ago. He was 17. She was 35. They became friends. Over the years, James has slowly and surely become a bigger name than Tardy, and this year hit 16 million subscribers compared to Tardy's 5 million. Ooh. The main difference is James Charles has always been controversial. Mm. He once made an offensive tweet about the Ebola crisis in Africa. Ah. Zara, please shut up. <laughs> and despite being gay, he has only ever been attracted to straight men, or so he says on Twitter. Tardy, on the other hand, is considered to be completely non-controversial. She is considered the loving mother of the beauty community as a whole. She owns a beauty supplements brand called Halo Beauty, which are basically beauty vitamins that promote healthy hair and skin. Okay. Everything seemed fine. How am I going for time? Everything seemed fine until James did a sponsored Instagram story for Halo Beauty's main competitor, Sugar Bear Hair. Tardy proceeded to make a 43-minute video slamming James Charles as arrogant, manipulative, and ungrateful. The video has now been viewed by 50 million people, prompting James to lose 3 million followers in the space of as many days. The biggest subscriber drop in YouTube history. He became the number one trend on Twitter world wide for more than 24 hours and was widely labeled the most hated man on the internet that was actually a minute i only gave you a minute oh my god and did you hear the little beep of it go off well done he is the most hated man on the internet we've got from woe to go very quickly oh, i feel hang on i need to catch my breath for a bit do you want to say anything do i no i just want to watch his struggle no this story <sighs> has surprised me in its ability to captivate the world and i don't think that's an overstatement i think i know it's captivating 
really different demographics when I have people like my dad asking me if we're going to talk about it on the podcast, Mm. my sister asking me, who's never followed an influencer or watched YouTube in her life, what the feud is about. So when this is starting to seep into the mainstream media, you know the story has gone bananas. Yeah. Do you have any questions off the bat that I can answer for you? Because now, full disclosure, you are kind of across this. I am very across this because I have watched both James and Tati and all the YouTube drama for years. I'm across this in a way that I feel like many people are across this now mm-hmm. in that I'd never heard of Tardy Westbrook before this week. I have done all of the deep diving in a week. So I feel like I know a lot, but there's no longstanding relationship between me, James Charles and Tardy Westbrook. What, clearly, because I don't even know her name. <laughs> well, at the beginning of the week, you got in a car with me and you said, so what's this Tatey thing? And I was like, excuse me, Zara McDonald. <laughs> well, I hadn't heard of her before, but I am... I myself have been incredibly captivated by this story. Walk me through how you felt about it. Sick. Yeah. I felt sick because I know that James Charles is controversial and I think we will get to that eventually. But I think this is an instance where I seriously, I had serious concerns that he was going to kill himself. I know that sounds super hyperbolic and that might sound to some people like it's uh, exaggerating the circumstances or it's uh, catastrophizing, which yes, I have an anxiety disorder. So catastrophizing is something that I do a lot, but I was incredibly concerned that this man was going to kill himself. And it is still a concern to me that his mental health is in serious danger. And I don't say that lightly. I don't think that the human brain or a human The human brain is built to withstand this much scrutiny and pressure and hatred. And that's what he's been on the receiving end of. To me, it was absolutely stunning that he would have the biggest drop of subscribers in YouTube history because this was not the most controversial thing to happen on YouTube. 12 months ago, there was Logan Paul who vlogged finding a dead body in a suicide Mm. forest and openly showed that man's face as he hung from a tree. There has been PewDiePie who has been slammed numerous times for making anti-Semitic jokes. This instance of James Charles promoting a rival beauty brand to Tardy Westbrooks, I don't see that as on the same level as what other YouTubers have done for half of the backlash. Which is what has really confused me and interest me in equal in equal parts this week, because I've been wondering why this is the story. This is the YouTube story that's permeated mainstream media to the point mm-hmm. where the New York Times are writing explainers and New Yorkers writing opinions on it. There's a couple of things I've been thinking about, right? Firstly, it felt like a perfect storm for James Charles. Rumblings of discontent started around his comments with regards to how he chases straight guys, Mm -hmm. whether or not they are interested in him or not. Then we began mocking him for his, like, influencer representation comments at the Met Gala, and then this happened. So it felt like trouble was suddenly brewing for some time. Absolutely, and let's not forget that his following was growing for some time and eventually the tide turns, I think. Oh, it absolutely does. The other thing that I was thinking of was there was – a piece in The New Yorker by Naomi Fry, who wrote, Watching Westbrook's video, I might have felt boredom, but instead I felt the excitement that must overwhelm an anthropologist discovering a lost culture, obscure but oddly fascinating with its own dramas, alliances and enmities. Added to this effect was the comedy of the gaping chasm between the flimsiness of the conflict and its melodramatic presentation. Do you think that explains it too, in that... This was painted as like the most dramatic fallout in YouTube history. And yet when you actually got to the facts of why these two fell out, it felt incredibly anticlimactic. So there's that layer too. Absolutely. Before we get really deep into this, I do want to preface this discussion with my thoughts on the sexual manipulation side of things. Yeah, because I think that's important. super important to cover. And I think that's probably the number one issue that's clear in most people's minds. Beauty supplements is one thing, but 
actively pursuing men who say they're straight is another. I do really want to call out people who say that James is doing this all the time and he's doing it exclusively because I've watched a number of videos from men that he has pursued and who have receipts in quotation marks because that's the YouTube lingo that it, lingo that everyone's using. A lot of these men have openly said, I am bi-curious. I met James and then I messaged him and wanted to meet up or I, he knew that I was bi-curious and I was exploring and now I think I'm straight. So I think we really need to be careful when we're accusing James Charles of sexual manipulation. In every instance that I've heard and that I've researched so far, I think I've watched five videos from five different men who dated him, all said they were curious about what it would be like to date a man. And I think that's super important. And that was not covered adequately in Tardy Westbrook's video, particularly where she spoke about James Charles uh, luring in a waiter at a restaurant because she made it out as if he made this waiter feel really uncomfortable and that this waiter wanted to leave and was very uh, put off by James Charles' advances when you, you go and watch the waiter's video, he actually messaged James Charles the following morning and said, hi, I'm the waiter that you met at the restaurant last night. And then they proceeded to flirt and chat and meet up at a hotel room to kiss. I understand this perspective for sure. And I think it's important to note. I'm just saying this is incredibly tough terrain. For sure. I think the thing that stands out to me here is that Tati Westbrook has known James Charles for years. And a lot of the examples that she gave in this video had been going on for the last six to 12 months. She said that. And yet the minute she decides to speak out about it is when he's suddenly not beneficial for her monetary gain anymore yeah. when he's suddenly not pushing her product if she was so concerned about this kind of behavior why did she not speak up out about it before he went against her beauty supplements brand i think that for me i mean we're getting really into the nitty-gritty here but when we're talking about intentions and people's personalities and who you can and can't trust online i do find it very problematic that tati only began questioning james charles's behavior the very second that he was no longer a monetary ally to her anymore i mean potentially that's the excuse that she is publicly who knows what was going on behind the scenes as to what was the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe he just became a bit of an arrogant thing and she had no control over him anymore. Like maybe it was more about control than money. I do want to say when it comes to Tardy Westbrook's video, 46 million people have watched that video at the time that we are recording. That probably will accrue millions and millions, millions more by the time that this episode goes live. For context, 18 million people watched HBO's latest episode of Game of Thrones. Whoa. So we are talking huge, huge numbers here. I do want to go back to your comment about Tidy Westbrook bringing this up because, you know, he is of no monetary value or why call him out publicly when you can pick up the phone, which was a very general um, and consistent criticism of Tati. Like, why not just take this behind the scenes? And she seemed to argue that she couldn't get a hold of him. It reminded me a lot and has made me think a lot about public call-out culture. I know we spoke a lot about cancel culture last week and we touched on call-out culture. But for me, public call-out culture is very interesting. We see it a lot with influencers or people with big followings who use their followings to absolutely rip something or someone. More often than not, it's a company. You know, you'll see it locally with influencers all the time who might be on the phone to Telstra for too long so they put it on their Instagram story. And I think it, it shows how they often, in these scenarios, use their influence to call out bad things and bad people and I don't like it mm. I actually think they should be handling this shit like the rest of us which is calling them privately taking this offline I don't think these kinds of feuds can and should live out online I can't see a circumstance where it's appropriate yeah and when I said that I reacted to this whole situation with a sick feeling in my gut I mean that I have been a fan of Tati Westbrook for a long time same with James Charles and I don't want 
anything to do with Tati Westbrook anymore. It was so unusual to watch the public reaction and my own reaction be at such odds with each other. In the in the public sphere, I saw so many people cheering her and spilling the tea and wanting to know everything and congratulating her on speaking out against this teenager. Whereas in my mind, I felt such detestation for that video particularly little details about that video I totally understand that someone like Tati Westbrook who lives her life online might want to call out James Charles online that was not my problem the problem was the title by sister yeah very immature very uh headline grabbing very dramatic for something that you say is done with the purest of intentions would you really have such a catty bitchy headline on your story like by sister the montage of all the times that she supposedly helped him at the beginning that she played at the beginning of the video just felt very disingenuous and hyperbolic and sensationalist to me. I felt like it was a bit of a television program that you might catch in the US. I don't understand why if you just want to call out someone's bad behavior, why you need to show yourself being a saint in different montages in the very opening scene. Well, I think people are actually starting to pivot a little bit with regards to how they feel about this story. And I think it's almost textbook how the public gets outraged and then how our outrage kind of deflates or we handle that outrage to somebody else, mm. which I think has happened here. I think initially there was all of that hate for James Charles, all that love for Tati Westbrook, and then slowly the tide has turned to being like, actually, this kid's 19. No matter what he has done, somebody needs to protect him. And also Tati's 37, and she just directed the entire world to go and ruin James Charles in both his career, his image, and his reputation. And her following has doubled from yeah. this. She's gone from 5 million followers to now 10 million subscribers on YouTube. So she's benefited literally from this, not only to say, that in the video she had branded call outs to her brand and to how much research she does and why you should buy Halo Beauty. It was an advertisement wrapped up in some type of viral memeable moment. Yeah, wrapped up in quote unquote tea. Yeah. I did want to bring in this concept of being a child star, right? Because I think what we struggle with when we come to stories like this one is the fact that the YouTube narrative is hard for people to grasp because it's new. And I know people will laugh and say it's not new, but in terms of new media, it's very, very new. And we don't really know how to consider these people. They're celebrities, they're influencers, but they are only just starting to become mainstream people. I think if this was a young celebrity who was 19, we would look at the concept of child star and think this person needs to be protected because being a child star can fuck you up so completely in the long run. James Charles is a child star. Mm. He is a child. He's 19. I mean, he's adult by virtue of legalities, but there's not much else going on here. Well, he, he can't drink alcohol. He was famous before he was an adult, yeah. which I think is the most troubling thing here. There's probably been some kind of stunting of his emotional growth because of that. And I think that's really important to notice too. I think we need to protect these young influencers like they are a breed of child star, but we struggle to because we don't see them as celebrity yet. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to jump on this podcast every week and act like influencers are this downtrodden, marginalised community because they're not. No. <laughs> However, I think it's really worth pointing out our widespread and powerful hatred for people who manage to capitalise off the zeitgeist when it comes to influencer culture. I think because we see influencers as people who are just like us, we therefore really struggle emotionally and mentally with their unbridled success. So when you see someone who is an everyday person living in the suburbs, just had a camera and started uploading vlogs, and all of a sudden they're this superstar power celebrity who is chased by paparazzi and going to the Met Gala, that 
in your soul might be jarring. And you might look at that and think, oh, that doesn't sit well with me. What makes him so much better than me? What makes him so deserving of all this riches and fame and adoration? And I think we need to be really fucking cognizant of as soon as our brains start to think that way, because we don't just find influencers irritating anymore. We find them deserving of all of our hate, all of our uh, contempt contempt with the fact that we don't have, and I, I'm not saying that it's a, it's an open jealousy. I'm not saying that we do it because we want James Charles's life. I think we do it because we don't think he's deserving of the life that he had. And once it's taken away, we feel like that's how it should have always been. Well, it absolutely comes down to a credibility thing. And the fact that, that influencers have never really had a heap of credibility. And with that comes a real lack of, I don't know, empathy or compassion with regards to whatever they do. I do think... I, I do agree with you 100%. I think we're gleeful in this scenario because we think that there's a sense of justice. Yes. And I think that he never deserved, we thought, the level of success he, re- he reached. So we're simply recalibrating. Mm-hmm. But in recalibrating, we're ruin someone, ruining someone in the process. I want to talk about Tati's most recent video that she uploaded on Friday morning, which was kind of an apology, kind of like a why I did this video. And she <sighs> said, I didn't think it was possible for the story to get this magnitude. I just didn't. And I was wondering as I was sitting there thinking, did these people not understand their power? I don't understand how they can't see their own power. The danger that comes with them not being self-aware with the following that they've built is astounding. I think they've likely developed ego with money and fame, but with that hasn't come the responsibility or self-awareness that comes with their influence. If you don't think that putting out a video slamming James Charles to 5 million people people is not going to blow up, then you have absolutely no self or social awareness. And she also knew that the tide was turning. In that video, she said, oh, well, I I thought that I would be losing subscribers and this would be affecting me more than James Charles because he's got more subscribers than me. She knew public sentiment was anti-James Charles. She knew after the Met Gala and after the latest PR crises that he was suffering. And I feel like she was the first one to pick up the bat and as I said in the newsletter this week, take a swing at the pop culture pinata that is James Charles now. I think when she said in that video, I really hope you guys see that this is coming from a good place. I'm sorry, I have to disagree. I think the performative dimension of life in 2019 is so stark. Everyone is performing. I feel like the amount that we are turning life events and uh, personal issues into performance art and online. And marketing opportunity. Yeah. I think it really needs to be called out. We need to call out the fact that people in this world, in YouTube and Instagram, can no longer decide what's a performance and what's authentic anymore. And I think we're turning so many real life things into performance art. And I think Tardy Westbrook is guilty of that. And I think I expect way more from a 37-year-old woman. Can I just finish this by asking where you think we need to go from here? Like, as people consuming this story, what our responsibility is? Because I think our responsibility is the same thing we come back to almost every single time we talk about public outrage, and that is to not react with your emotion online straight away. It's to sit with your emotions so you don't join the stampede that is going to ruin someone and actually wait for a couple of days for the sentiment to die down before we actually choose how to respond. Because I think when we always respond with those funny ha-ha memes and we always respond with jumping on the bandwagon, that is actually the swelling problem. You know what I think it is? I think it's really, really cliched, but these people are people and you need to research. If you're going to send someone hate, if you're going to jump on the bandwagon, you need to do your research that you are twice as likely to commit suicide or self-harm if you are the victim of cyberbullying. And if you are jumping on a widespread vitriolic viral hate viral hate campaign against someone, you are cyberbullying. And if you're willing to take that chance and risk that consequence of someone taking their own life, then 
that's your choice to make, but it's not one that I'll ever be making. We're actually going to go against our own grain for the last part of this episode today. Sure, we have actually branded ourselves as a pop culture and celebrity podcast, and we promise we will never, ever deviate from that. But what actually happens when a conversation outside of that realm seizes us and you guys in such a furious and consuming way? This week, Republicans in Alabama voted to nearly totally ban abortion statewide. No exceptions were given for cases of incest. No exceptions were given for cases of rape. It's a news story, but it's also all of our story. So with that in mind, today we've decided to talk about it. Mish, let's start with initial feelings before we actually delve into crucial facts. I want you to walk me through your emotions as the story kind of progressed this week. Uh, Well, my emotions for the Alabama bill were one thing. When I then saw that Missouri has now done the same thing, I feel incredibly upset. It's weird. I actually feel like I'm going to cry just talking about it. Um, I'm scared. I don't know. Like I'm scared for women. And I feel like when you see the photos of all these politicians and the people who are making these choices about women's bodies, it does feel like a war on women. I feel galvanized by some of the celebrities who have come out like Jamila Jamil, Busy Phillips, Tess Holiday. Nicki Minaj has been open about her abortion. So has people like Whoopi Goldberg and Chelsea Handler and Lil Kim and Rose McGowan. But I feel a bit hopeless that it's 2019, but it feels like 1940. And I'm scared that this will trickle down into Australian values. I said to you when we were sitting at breakfast this morning, it sounds really dumb and I'm really going to expose my own naivety here, but I'm surprised. Like I'm really surprised because I probably live in a bubble where I thought that it is 2019 and that these kinds of things would never catch back up to us. Like we've done all the running away from it. I mean, you're right. There are a few moments I can remember where women's anger has been galvanized in such an almost cohesive way. Like it all feels like we're fighting the same thing in the same way at the same time. I mean, not that it matters at the moment because it's not changing anything, but I guess silver lining to start Let's actually go into what has happened. I wanted to read out a line from Eric Levitt's piece from The Cut. Um, Eric's lead was one of the best leads I've, I've read in all of my reading on this entire issue, and it was, the government of Alabama just decided that providing an abortion to a 12-year-old girl who was raped by her father is a more serious crime than raping a 12-year-old girl. Mm. So that's where we're at. Do you want to walk us through to start yeah. what's actually happened. So in Alabama, they voted to outlaw abortion entirely. So doctors who perform the procedure can go to prison for 99 years simply for providing health care to the one in four women in America who will get an abortion in their lifetime. This law offers no exception for rape or incest victims. Uh, because as the Republican lawmaker Clyde Chambliss said, when God creates the miracle of life inside a woman's womb, it is not our place as human beings to extinguish that life. The bill in Missouri is called Missouri Stands with the Unborn Bill, and it looks to outlaw performing an abortion in all cases. Under the bill, exemptions would be made for medical emergencies, but not pregnancies caused by rape or incest. Doctors who perform abortions more than eight weeks into pregnancy would face five to 15 years in prison. So more background here too. Governor Kay Ivey enacted what is now the most restrictive abortion ban in the United States. And under its provisions, performing an abortion on someone who has been pregnant for more than six weeks is a class A felony, carrying a minimum sentence of 10 years in prison, no matter how that person became pregnant, like we keep touching on. So that could be rape or incest. Statutory rape 
and incest, meanwhile, remain Class C felonies, carrying a minimum prison sentence of just over one year. It's so fucked. It's so absolutely fucked. And I want to give some really important context as well before we dive into this. So when we talk about six weeks or eight weeks, lots of people might hear that and be like, oh, well, you'd figure out if you were six weeks pregnant really easily. If you're not aware, pregnancy is measured from when a pregnancy actually Pregnancy is measured from your last menstrual period. So by the time your period is a week late, you are five weeks pregnant. You actually might not realize that you're late until two weeks after you're supposed to get your period. And by that stage, you're six weeks. And the window for an abortion in these states has passed you by. So it's going to be, it's absolutely one of those cases where the majority of women aren't going to know they're pregnant until it is too late. Mm. There's been a lot of reading on this. There's been a lot of social media outcry. I think when we're, talk- when we're talking about Alabama in particular, we're talking about a state here who voted to repeal Obamacare. And the hypocrisy of this entire story is astounding to me that a state that's willing to repeal Obamacare and sort of really lay the boot into healthcare in their own state are the ones that are pretending to care about life. Yeah, that's the disgraceful thing. These men... And people. These men show little to no care for actual babies who are born. It's not like the Republican Party, or any Conservative Party for that matter, is looking to help minorities and poor people and children. These people, by and large, actively block public healthcare benefits and welfare benefits. They do not give a fuck about babies being born after the mother is being pregnant. They care about women being pregnant and bringing these pregnancies to term. I cannot believe that in Alabama they voted down an amendment that would say that Alabama would cover any child's medical costs until the age of three if their mother was forced to carry to term. So they clearly don't care about health care. They don't want these babies to have free health care until they're three. They just want women to be pregnant. It's not about life. It's not about keeping people healthy. Jill Filopovich, who writes for The Guardian, and she writes some brilliant things too, wrote this week, the same states that are most aggressively outlawing abortion, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio, Kentucky, Mississippi, have some of the highest infant mortality rates in the country. Alabama's infant mortality rate is on par with that of Sri Lanka and Albania. Maternal mortality rates in those states are also predictably and horrifyingly high. Where abortion laws are the strictest, women's health is the worst. And you know the hypocrisy here as well on top of all that? These are people, by and large, who say that we can't ban guns because banning things doesn't work, and yet they want to ban abortions. This will just push women into backyard, dark, hidden abortions, which have high fi- far higher risks for the women involved. This doesn't get rid of abortions. We know across history that women who don't want to be pregnant will find a way to not be pregnant. And we are putting so many marginalised, vulnerable people at risk with these kinds of bills and these kinds of laws. Where are the men here? Yeah. Where are the men in this conversation? I said at the start it's been kind of, I mean, I'll say empowering to see how women have galvanised with their anger, but I haven't seen a man comment on it. In fact, I would doubt there are many men in my life that would really be considering this as an issue right now. Sure, they might have seen the headlines, but they wouldn't be feeling the same things that we do, which is bizarre because we all have children. We're just the ones that carry them. We might be the ones that have abortions, but men get the gift of abortions. Mm. They get the benefits of abortions too. And when I think about when I talk to my girlfriends about the trajectory of our lives, pregnancy is such a conversation that comes up because we've got to plan everything. Mm. Like we talk from the age of 20 about what our university degrees are going to look like or our jobs are going to look like, when we're going to move out, how we're going to save, when we're going to have a baby, because that's going to throw a spanner. 
I don't think any of my male friends have ever had that conversation because it's not even a blip on their radar. Their trajectory is linear because they don't have to carry a baby. Yeah, and they don't have to worry about uh, deviations from that linear trajectory because what they want to do will happen, whereas we are at the mercy of our own bodies in this scenario and we need to have bodily autonomy. It's so important. I think this is such a case study for why diversity is so important in all facets of life because here we have a group of exclusively white people, most of them devout Christians, acting not on what is best for the people that they govern, but what fits their very specific set of beliefs and values. And I think that's disgraceful. I think it's so difficult to know that men decide on what women's bodies go through because a man will never experience the unique anxiety of feeling like you might be pregnant when you don't want to be. I've had that. I'm 25 and I think I've had two really troubling experiences where I thought I was pregnant and I really, really did not want to be. And I refuse to believe that a man who never has to go through that anxiety, never has to go through that feeling that, fuck, my entire life trajectory may have just changed, can decide on what's best for women and what's best for abortions. Well, it's that classic recurring nightmare that a lot of women have, which I have had so much since I was maybe like 14, that idea that I would go to bed and have a nightmare that I was pregnant. And I just want to put on the record here, Pregnancy is great and babies are great and I would love to have them one day. It's the idea right now that it would really fuck with what plans we have. We've said that time and time again to each other. If one of us got pregnant, we're both kind of fucked for a little bit because there's no way we can do the things that we want to do when there's a baby. And that's just the reality that no man has to think about. The other thing that I said to you this morning over breakfast was that abortion would derail us logistically for at least a week or two. That Mm -hmm. if one of us got pregnant and needed to have an abortion, the logistics around that and the consumption of maybe energy and time would completely derail a week or two. That's us being financially able to have an abortion and that's us being able to go into Melbourne City and have it. That's not even us travelling interstate to do it. One of the only things that is consuming me this week is the women that are going to have to spend so much money assuming they can afford it and so much emotional energy travelling to get this done. If If an abortion would derail our week, how long is it going to derail their month for? And on a ticking time bomb as well, if you find out the day that you miss your period, you've got two weeks to get it done, not including weekends, I'm guessing, not including the fact that, as you said, you might be financially burdened or you might be struggling with other things in your life. I I know this is anecdotal, but my sister Claire actually worked at a major family planning center for a couple of years and she is a midwife now. So it's kind of ironic that she's been on both sides of it. She says that working at a family planning center where they did offer abortions, both surgical and medical, was the most rewarding, uplifting time in her career. She feels like she helped so many women. And when I spoke to her on the phone before we sat down to do this segment, she said, this is so utterly concerning to me because the majority of women that I saw were number one, they weren't teenagers. They weren't that stereotypical girl who got herself in a bad situation, needs an abortion. Most of them were mothers who couldn't deal with the thought of having another child because they already had multiple and they couldn't have another child because of financial means or a geriatric pregnancy or the baby had, uh, chromosomal or genetic conditions. She said so many women would come in to get abortions because they were in emotionally, physically, financially abusive relationships and not having to carry a baby to term was freeing for these women. Being able to know what's going to happen to their body and carry out whatever they want is uplifting and freeing and empowering to those women. And as soon as we take that away, we're basically living in the handmaid's tale. Emma Brokes wrote a really searing piece for The Guardian this week. I'm not sure if you've read it, Mish, but it was pretty much at the top of all SEO for this kind of stuff. 
And she wrote, it's about the elimination of women, particularly poor women, as a threat to the social order. It is a measure designed to ensure that poor people stay poor and women stay home. Trying to shame abortion banners for unfairness to women is like trying to shame advocates of mandatory minimum sentencing for causing large-scale incarceration of black people. That was kind of the point. I wanted to finish on another quote of hers that said, it is hard enough in a state such as Alabama to get the courage up to go to an abortion clinic, but to have to travel vast distances for a frightening procedure that is illegal at home might be for many too much, which is, of course, why the bill passed. Everything about it says, stay where you are. Mm. It is absolutely that idea that it's like you women stay in your little hole and don't come out of it. Stay in that little prism and prison. Stay pregnant, stay home and don't be a threat to us. That's what it says. Anyway. It's a really dark note to finish on, but it's such a troubling, troubling story. And I'm so anxious to see what happens to Roe v. Wade in the coming months, in the coming years. We know that this is Donald Trump, really. He has stacked every level of the legal system with as many conservative judges as he possibly can. This is Brett Kavanaugh finally coming to bite us all on the ass. Yeah, it really is. And I think the only thing we can do from here, and I think that's always what I want to get to, is like, what can we do from here? I don't think there's much else we can do than than galvanise that anger we're already doing and being very public about it and getting the men on board. Galvanise the men. If you have had an abortion and your partner... Hasn't said anything about this. Yeah. Why is this not an issue for men? This is a huge part of all of our lives. Babies and pregnancy and terminations are a huge facet of all of our lives, not just women. And if you know a man who has benefited from a pregnancy that he didn't want to have, make him talk about it with you. Make him be vocal about it with his friends. We need to be talking about this. The only people that I've seen post about this on social media are women, so I want to see more men. Anywho, that is a long episode today. Michelle, we are at Mechlands. We really should do our other job today as well. Thank you so much, though, to you guys for listening to this episode thank you for getting on the bandwagon and subscribing when we're asking you to subscribe keep subscribing to the podcast if you are not subscribed it does really help us out in the charts michelle is there anything else you'd love to add no thank you just click subscribe that's the best way to help (laughs) us no i know but i'm just going to reiterate that Uh, if you click the purple subscribe button that's like a vote for shameless oh thank you guys we will be back in your ears on thursday yay bye Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.